welcome to 353rd. I'm Anders Brownworth. And I'm Scott Barstow. Scott, hey, uh, you texted me a day or so ago and brought up what I thought was a really interesting topic. Do you want to mention it? I do. So the here's the thing. There's this, uh, there's this common phrase being bandied about by people like Mark Andreessen and others that software is eating the world. Yes. And that's absolutely true. Uh, if you look at industries that have traditionally been uh, not invaded by tech, those industries are being taken over by tech. Med, medical is a while medical, I guess, has always been heavily technical, but not con- not consumer friendly tech. So you have all of this activity around building software, and software is the answer to everything, and technology is the answer to everything. And the what occurred to me this week in a uh, in a meeting that I was sitting in is that there's a very big problem with that thesis, and that is there is a as you know there's an acute shortage of people who can build software. People capable of, right, of understanding what can be done and, and just doing right. what's necessary. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. And even, even if you take it back to just the basics, there's not that many. There's this, there, if you try and find right now in the U.S. and really worldwide, if you look at what's going on worldwide, there's an acute shortage of, of really good engineers or even half good engineers yeah. The and the other so the that's one side of the problem that's the supply side problem and then on the and what that's doing is it's making uh the ability to build technology and start a technology company very expensive if you don't have those skills so if you if you didn't have the the ability to build an iOS app or an Android app and then build some of the back end technology to make that application work what you would do is uh, you have two choices. You can either go teach yourself how to do it, which if you're in the middle of trying to start a company is very expensive. Yep. Or you can hire a company to do it for you. Which surprisingly is very expensive. That's right. And so you're paying you know, 160 to $200 an hour for some person to bang out the same code that they've probably written for 20 other companies. And the, the other thing is you're not sure, uh, you're not absolutely sure of the quality that you're going to get out of that. That's absolutely person. right. So you yeah. have all of these, and you have all of these variables where there, the talent is in is in great demand. So people get paid a lot of money to do it. And if you don't know what you're doing, you have no way to know if you're getting a good product. It's yeah. not like you know going and buying a car where you know historically, you know, if you need a car, you can go look and see. Well, how's this car? How is this car done? Yeah, in the know. past and. Yeah. You know, you can say, "Oh, the reviews for this that it was a you know it's a car and driver top ten car or whatever." There's a number of external ways to validate a car or something else that you would buy, but software is a subjective, in some ways, is a subjective product. Yeah, because it's you and I might disagree about how to solve a problem, and that the, the how we think about the problem goes into the product. Yeah, and so you have all of these problems around building software that. Uh, just sort of stack on top of each other and make for right now a pretty inefficient process for getting applications built. Yeah. And so I was in a meeting this week and the thing that occurred to me is that software might be eating the world. And I think the, the, the response has been to that, well, let's train a bunch more engineers, mm-hmm. right? Let's, 
let's have everybody take a CS class and right. let's have everybody learn how to write code. That's been teach them young. The, yeah, teach yeah. them young and let's build the pipeline. And yep. that might be a good idea. Sure. But I think the and it probably is. But I think the more interesting way to think about this is why don't we use computers to build software? Yes. That can then be uh so uh, yeah, just why don't we use... Why don't we do this? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Why don't, because computers are very good. Computer code is more or less, you can define how it should be written. You can define the best practices. You can do all of these things and then let uh, a, a program crank you out something in, you know, in seconds that would take a human you know, hundreds of hours to write. So let's, let's and and it would do it with the same. You know, it would do it standards based. It would do it the same way every time. Yeah, it would do what computers are good at. Yeah, which, which is, is banging repeatable, out repeatable. Right. Yeah. Right. And so anyway, this is the this is the this the, is the thesis. Yeah, this is the thesis that I think um, w- the focus. It would seem to me for those who are very good at building software. I think in the next few years, the, few, the focus needs to be on building software that builds software rather than just building applications. Right. So let's, so let's talk through, just for the benefit of our listeners, what life is like if you need to write, let's just say, an iOS application, an iPhone application. Um, you know, let's just take a, a very simple example to play tic-tac-toe. You know, sure. it's obviously not very useful, but uh, you can abstract uh, later on. So, what does it take to do that? So you gotta, you gotta obviously you have to be all set up with your developer account and everything. That's kind of table stakes, and then you have to sketch out an interface. This one happens to be pretty simple. It's a you know, basically four lines on the screen, uh, and then and then there's nine little places that you can put an X or an O, and uh, but then you have to wire that up, you know, so that like spot, you know, two comma one refers to this, this one and, and this one only, um, maybe you attach a variable behind it or whatever. But at the end of the day, pretty much everybody knows how you would, um, write the game of tic-tac-toe. There's some basic rules, right. So mm-hmm. that you would have to impart yet most of the time, would be, I mean, let's let's just say we we snapped our fingers and we had that. Most of the time, you would then spend on this application would be making the UI look a lot better, making the um you know the the basically the the way that it works. You would refine the way that it works, right? And I think that's a I I always argue that. Uh, writing software is a creative process. So, like, if you're going to manage software developers, you're managing creatives. Uh, that's right. That's what's that. That's that part of the job. Like figuring out, you know, how to do something elegantly or cleanly in a UI is a thing that a human is good for, and it's probably not going to be something that a computer is going to write. However. There are myriad things that people, that programmers do all the time that, you know, they get paid a lot of money to do, which are menial at best in terms of writing. So what, basically what I'm saying about your, your statement here is there are, there are parts of the task that are really well optimized for that, to have a computer write it. Um, 
But there are some problems really lend themselves to this, whereas other problems, and you almost don't even want to call this person a developer. It's kind of really a UI designer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what does a developer really know about UI design? So basically, the, the, the areas where this is going to shine is going to be uh, problems that, that, uh, that benefit a lot from having a lot of data input so that you can infer patterns and then come up with something, right? So like we talked about the, uh, the light timing problems, like, uh, the, the light is always red when I get there and I'm sitting waiting for no car, no other cars to use the intersection. How come the intersection doesn't understand this and, you know, step out of order for just a second and let my light go green. So things are more efficient. Well, this is just a giant, data science problem really right so why wouldn't a computer write that pro why why do you have to have a human say okay wait a second if this light because this is literally how they do it it's centrally controlled that's right yeah if somebody shows up and the magnet tells me there's a car there yeah then turn the light green yeah and and i think the so going back to your illustration let's say that your tic-tac-toe game you then wanted to save those results and compare those results with everybody else playing tic-tac-toe. Yep. Yep. And this is where you get into the things you were talking about where you're starting to do the same things that every application does. So if you think about if, – if we think about all of the applications that we use on a daily basis, the things that they have in common, if they're not just a mobile-centric app so that you know it's a game that doesn't have any – yeah, server-side component. Well, yeah, it doesn't have any server-side. But yeah, but let's – so in our case, let's say there is. That means that I've got I've to create user accounts and yep. I, maybe I want to store a balance or maybe I want to store um, yeah, a score, you know, a, a score yeah. from that game. And all of those things are things that if you have somebody sit down and write that, they're going to write it from scratch. And if you're paying a development shop, so you're paying these these guys that I was talking about $160 an hour – the chances are that just like a car mechanic, they know there's like a there's like a template of what they charge, yeah. And and they're probably optimized to do these things over and over again. But you're still paying, just Every like when you time. go to the car mechanic, yeah. You know they have a they have a fee for changing oil, or they have a fee for uh, changing your timing belt, and it doesn't matter if it takes them two hours or five hours. You're paying that because that's what the established rate is, yeah. And it's the same thing with these companies that build software is that they they eventually get better and better at these things and they build tooling around you know getting these things done quicker but you're still paying the freight yep the the list price right and so and those things well, are and those so, things are common right so if I want to have a sign into Twitter I want to have a sign into Facebook those things are all very well known yeah, and not and only pa- not only that, but in there in these these people are are working at, at let's say you know a, a consultancy group that that runs around and does this. Well, every other consultancy group is is doing the exact same thing. That's right, and so, the inefficiency in that market, if you think if you set back and think about it, right. is unbelievable. It is like you can't like if if you had all the consultancy groups just get together and you know, work with common practices, you, you can just understand there would be this huge gain, but it's still done by a human. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So, so yeah. So the opportunity, it feels to me, and, uh, and I can't get into details about why 
uh, I feel, or well, you know, the company that I ran into this week or anything like that. And I, that will be, we'll talk more about it as that company comes online. But the, the light bulb moment for me this week was that the, there's an op, just like there's been an opportunity to, to optimize, um, you know, how packages get delivered or how anything else happens better and more efficiently. But what we've historically thought is that, oh, that takes software engineers to make that happen. And I think the light bulb moment for me was no, that the very same thing, we're going to mm. see the very same thing in how you build software. Yeah. And the people who are taking like, you know, these classes on Ruby on, you know, Ruby on Rails for beginners and taking a 10-week class and, and spending 10 grand for it. Um, and they can go build like a Rails app that has bootstrap templates and like that whole skill set. You you're going to have to advance through that curve very very quickly. Yeah. Or your job's going to become irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agreed. So here's the thing: uh, if you look at machine learning, so obviously we're talking a little bit about machine learning. If you look at machine learning and you look at statistics and you look at you know, so back in the 90s, it was, it was called artificial intelligence, AI, right? Very exciting. This, great, this is, this is going to be great. We're going to have computers. They're able to, able to think and therefore program and, and many other things. And then now here, fast forward to 2015, we don't have computers that, uh, that think for themselves. And it seems like we're still in the dark ages, given some of the predictions that were made in the 90s. So what happened? Well, you know... There's this funny line between artificial intelligence and machine learning. Uh, when you take a bunch of data and you throw it at uh, different algorithms, and you and what pops out is a you know sort of an optimization for this algorithm or a way to forecast you know new data what that should be dependent on all of the old data. That you get what used to be considered artificial intelligence gets moved over into the, oh, that's just machine learning bucket, mm -hmm. right? So what we would have called artificial intelligence maybe in the 90s, um, say, for example, you hit Shazam on your iPhone and it listens to the music that's playing and it tells you who's, who's you know, singing the song, blah, blah, blah. It's obvious how it's done. It's very optimized, you know, fingerprinting type service that's listening for you know, the bead and, and a bunch of other things, but it's, it's really just big data driven. It's not, you know, it's not a, a really clever coder came up with an unbelievably, you know, interesting way to recognize this song and this song right. in particular. So, yeah. but, it, and, and how you know that is because for an app like Shazam, if you have some other variant of a song, yeah, it doesn't recognize it. Right. Right. So if exactly. you, it has to be the original artist recording of it or and you know so if it's a live recording or you and i do a cover of a song sure which we uh, do which we do we do that all the time coffee house hour it's great <laughs> that's right yeah you're right that's it's right. it's so they, not shazam is worthless because yeah. it the fingerprint as you said the fingerprint doesn't match so it really is just a giant data exercise so that's so that's really so in that case here is a super super specialized you know niche that has been solved very solidly, not by, uh, 
kind of the way that we recognize music because in your example I would recognize the you know Scott and Anders coffee house version of you know wild horses whereas uh the Rolling That's Stones a great recording probably, by the it way is. it's available on iTunes <laughs> it is it's we're making a lot of money I got to tell you uh so you 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 as a human can tell the that that is at least presumably the same song Whereas for a computer, I mean, it, it, you might as well be playing white noise. It's, a, right. it's effectively it no right. So, so um, in in our scenario, where a computer is writing, right, the program now, not the not the data that, uh, not crunching a whole bunch of data to to arrive at some meaningful statistical algorithm that. You know, if you pass new data to it, it can give you a percentage match. Not that, but rather something that that uh, you know that that um, kind of is optimized to, let's just say, do the server side of uh, of mobile applications, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, or yeah, you know, you 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 pick your 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 thing, but essentially not a not coming up with a function that data matches to, but rather coming up with a, um, you know, something that builds like, like boilerplate code almost. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there is a, a big jump there. Uh, it so much so that we're, we're really talking about two totally different industries. One is, you know, big data machine learning kind of world. And the other here would be, um, you know, so the, I guess the question is, do you need to uh, get a whole bunch of coders in a room and look at the way that they code and that they write something and then have a computer come up with a boilerplate for it? And that would be the, database, the data-driven model to kind of make a computer write code for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, or do you do it another way? Is there? I yeah, I don't know. I think, the, <clears throat> I think there's initially you probably – you get – uh, I think eventually the way this lo- the, looks like is that you the computer starts consuming, let's say, uh, open source projects. Yeah, where uh, you identify kind of best practices, and this is how an iOS app should be written, and this is how an, this is how a Node.js backend should be written, and the uh, I think you can probably train a computer at some point to say, here's how I want this done, and uh, and all of that, it, t- it takes all of that in and, you know, crunches through it and figures out, oh, when I want to set up a user page, here's where, here's what that looks like. And here's all the fields in a typical user setup. I think in the near term, it's putting, I think it is what you're talking about. It's putting a, a stable of solid iOS engineers, let's say, in a room and saying, yeah. how do you write iOS apps? And let's distill everything that's common. I mean everything, like how you do screen transitions and the, you know, here's the five ways you can transition a screen that are elegant and and align with iOS standards. And let's let's code those and let's make those available as something that's you know that that a user can pick from or something like that. But I think it is initially, it's like let's get the be- the people who are best at their job in a room and let's teach the computer how to do what they do. Right. So, so here's the example that comes to mind. I remember in the, the nineties and in the, uh, two thousands and somewhat even all the way up until now, although there are, there are interesting ways to solve it now. Um, a lot of a webmaster's job was serialization and deserialization of, 
you know, forms and data in a database. So basically, somebody would type some stuff into a form for whatever. Let's say you're writing a, a content management system, a blog, and they, they type up their story and they hit save, post, you know. So that gets sent to the server and it arrives as, you know, the output of a form and you have to turn that into whatever the schema is. So uh, I would I would put it upwards of like, you know, if you're not talking about somebody who's doing any design work, it's probably like 50% of the, the web webmaster's job back in the day yep. was serialization and deserialization. Then a lot of things came along, like, for example, uh, Ruby on Rails that had active record and some interesting ways to kind of take the drudgery out of that. But there was an – like, look at the amount – the number of dollars that were spent – on people doing serialization and deserialization of data from, yeah. uh, you know, into and out of databases. It, it was unbelievable. So, like, if you could just do that, now maybe that has been solved with a framework, um, you know, so so maybe that's not the ideal thing. But if you could have some some one thing to have nailed with this kind of a technology, that would have been it, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, so what is it now? I mean, I, th- I think it's I think the, it's the ability, and there's a number of companies. Uh, I did a little bit of research this week. There's a number of companies trying to address this problem, but right now the big shortage, if you're a, if you're needing to build technology, the big shortage is um, is either it's mobile application developers gen- generically and iOS application developers in particular. Yeah. Uh, just because the demand, at least in the U.S., for iOS developers is so great. Yeah, it's off the it's off the yeah, charts. I mean, now. you can make whatever you want to make if you know how to build uh, Apple app, you know, uh, iPhone applications. No, it's totally true. But let's let's look at the numbers on this. This is something that that I I just don't understand. Uh, what what program? What what iOS apps are making money? Right, very 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 few. few. Like That's right, one percent. Right, it's very it's a low number. So why is that the most in, in demand skill? If you're going to start, if you're going to do a startup, I know. Let's do a startup. Let's let's write an iOS app, and it'll be great. We'll make a lot of money. Well, you're batting, you know, good luck on that to to make something that hits out of the park. I mean, you very well may do it, but the chances, in terms of raw numbers statistically, is very very low. Yet That's you're right. paying the highest dollar, pretty much. For, That's right. You are. Yeah. So, well, how how does that make any sense, right? Yeah, and I, I love it. I think it's great that that we focus on on iOS as the the app the um you know field to be optimized. I love it. But like, why is there even the opportunity in the first place? It doesn't make sense. Right. And I think the other complication is that with building a mobile app in particular, the the way you build the user interface portion of that is so key yeah. because it's the, that's what makes or breaks in some ways. That's what makes or breaks the app. Obviously it has to be interesting. The subject matter has to be interesting as well. But the, the thing that's interesting is that you're absolutely right. You have, so everybody, here's what I think is going on is you have, <clears throat> excuse me, you have all VCs and everybody else saying, if you're going to start a company, it has to be mobile first. So you have that whole noise that you get from well, they, kind of the, they very well may be right. They may be right. That's true. But I'm just saying, if I've got a, if I've got the choice between starting my company and building, let's say a uh, a 
common framework-based web app, which let's say we use Bootstrap and we're going to use Node.js or Ruby on Rails or whatever as the back end for that app, the, the amount of work that it takes to do that work as compared to putting together a mobile app that looks really good, getting it through the app store, you know, going through all of that pain um, yeah. to prove the idea, I'm spending a ton more money doing that work than I am doing the other kind of work. Yeah. And uh, so I don't, it's, it's hard for me to say, I think it's a, it's a valid question. Your question of like, why, why do people focus there? I think it's the same reason, you know, why do people move to Silicon Valley when they want to start a company? The reason is because that's where everybody says that you have to go. And I think the so when that when everybody says that's what you have to do, then all the money goes there. And in the case of you know Silicon Valley real estate, it goes through the roof. And in the case of building applications, it it you know the price to do that goes through the roof. So you're paying 160 or 200 bucks an hour. It doesn't take long before your little startup is spending 100 grand just to get going. Yeah, sure. And yeah, and I thought we were we were the internet was the you know. Low bar kind of uh, that's right. Know. So where's the that, so where's that's the, really a where's myth. the sense in that? Right. Yeah. Well, this the the thing with that is not only uh, your 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 typical engineer cannot design a UI, and your right. typical UI designer cannot uh, actually do the work to wire up a UI. So you have this chasm. Some people can do yep. both. This is extremely rare. But it you is have rare. this ca- this cav- chasm that needs to be spanned, and the way you span it, you should get a really good coder and a really good designer together. That's right. So and you're spending really you're spending really, tons of money. Yeah, for you're spending that. tons of money, and you got to find the two that are going to work together really well. So that's yeah. really hard. And so, furthermore, I think you have this. So if 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 we weren't software engineers and we had an idea, and the first thing that somebody tells you that you have to do. Is oh you've got to find a technical co-founder yeah to start your company I hear that all the time oh my gosh yeah. it's rampant yeah and if you get into any accelerator uh, that's a technology based accelerator that's the first qualification that they're going to look for yeah, oh you're not going to get in without you're a, not going to get yeah. in if you don't have a technical co-founder yeah and I think so the you have all of this market pressure pushing you to make bad decisions and the bad decision can be I'm going to go spend. I'm either going to bring somebody on as a technical co-founder that I don't really know and I don't really trust, but I'm doing it because, hey, we met at a meetup and you seem like a good dude, nice, and and let's and go build a, this company together. Right, and that's was, really the amount of thought that goes into it. Right. And so even if you get it right for the first six to nine months, two years down the road, the chances of that blowing up are significant. Yeah. So you've got – so that you have all of that pressure. And on the other side of it, you have all of this price pressure – pushing you to say, oh, well, I've, I've got to go get friends and family money and I've got to go raise a hundred grand just to even get this thing done. And hundred and a hundred and a hundred thousand bucks, that's a low number right now oh, sure. to start a company because yeah. of what you just said, because a designer is $200 an hour. You're going to pay a development shop, you know, 150 to $200 an hour for, for, and you're and by the way, for that hundred and fifty or two hundred dollars an hour, that doesn't mean you're gonna get somebody that's worth that much money. You're gonna get some got some lackey doing most of the work. Yeah. And 
and a, and some oversight on that project. And so you're you know you're paying 150 or 200 dollars an hour, and somebody then the company's charging you know the company's cost structure for that yeah, is like probably 40 50. to 50. Yeah. Yeah. So they're just they're printing money on the on the work being done, and so the if, what te- I think your point was a good one. What technology was supposed to do, and what the internet was supposed to do, was make starting a business cheaper and make it easier. And those things are true if you can do the work yourself. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And the the, the on the flip side, though, you don't want to give false a false sense of uh, optimism to people who cannot code because, you know, just saying like, hang on for a few years and then there'll be a website that you go to that you plug in your brilliant idea and out pops a, you know, well-engineered iOS app. Right. Right. So there's, there's a, that's not going to happen. Um, and, yeah. and there's a, there's a, there's a big, you know, there's a big chasm and, and mostly, I mean, you, you know, you know this very well, you, you know, I've been to a, a million meetups and you, you show up there and invariably there's some, you know, biz dev or marketing uh, background person with a biz dev or marketing background that has what they believe is, you know, a stellar idea. It's far better than anybody else. And, uh, you know, wouldn't you love the opportunity to, uh, you know, connect with me and be my technical co-founder and, you know, let's knock it out of the park. The problem is, you know, ideas are, they're, they're nice and all, but they're not really that rare. And any idea is worth basically nothing unless you follow it up with, you know, 99% more work uh, actually building out the thing. Yeah. So that's, so, you know, you, you can't, you can't just, uh, like you, the, the, the most, the reason you want to learn how to code, even though you may not end up being a line coder every day for the rest of your life, is not so that you can code. It's so that you can just instinctively understand what's going to take time and what's not. That's, that's exactly right. I think that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. So, so there's a huge distance between, um, being able to, uh, you know, just in- intrinsically know, hey, this is hard and this is easy to, uh, you know, that, that, well, let's just say when you find uh, development or like project managers or managers or biz dev people or, or marketing people, um, and they do exist, I do know a few. Uh, who, <laughs> Unfortunately, they do. Yeah, well, no, no, I think it's very yeah, fortunate. Right. <laughs> These marketing people that understand this is hard and this is not, not that they know how to do it or that they, um, and, and they may not really be technical at all. It's just they're, they're very seasoned and very experienced and they understand that this kind of a thing I've done before and it took a long time, even if it's just that. You, the, the last thing a technical person wants to do is argue and argue and argue and argue for something that will take a long time. They just need to say, this is going to take a long time. I don't need to, you know, it doesn't matter what your argument is. It still is going to take a long time. The only thing that would take less time is to not do it. That's right. Right. So, 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 um, the tantalizing thing that you want to grasp out for here is here's a program that you run on your computer and it takes what used what what the the engineers used to say would take a long long time and now that takes 
effectively no time at all. While I think we will get there, we're we're nowhere near it. And no, I think that's right. I think the I think the evolution of this in my mind is something like this. Where the we're in the very early stages of this of this whole thing, and you can look yeah. at the companies like this company here in Raleigh called Mobile Smith. There's another one called in uh, I ran into in Austin called iCumulus, and what they're doing now is they're saying, "Hey, we're going to give you this GUI editor, and you can kind of draw the screens and create the transitions and things like that, and then we're going to spit you out." you know, the source code for your application and you'll pay us, you know, some amount of money to hand over that source code. And I think um, what's going to happen is that you're going to have these, the first generations of this are going to be pretty brute force where you do this kind of work and then you get the source code and then you have to go and take and modify that to get it particularly the way you want it. it So, yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that if you if you think about just that problem, or you could t- you could take that same theory and apply it to building a web application, you know, in Node.js or something like that. I think the value there is that if those things, if we get good at doing those things, the basics, then what you're doing is you're paying the guy that you're paying two hundred dollars an hour to do something very specific, and you're not paying him to do all the work that a computer is good at doing. Yeah. So it's not that that guy goes away. It's that the price that you you're using him for exactly what he should be used for, not to do the basics. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the first generation of all of these things. Is give me seventy five percent of what I need, and then I'll find somebody to do that last twenty five percent. And it, let's say I pay, I don't know, let's say I pay five grand for that first seventy five percent. If that's done really well, that's extremely valuable. Sure, you know because now I've got all the I've got all the efficiency of a computer doing that first and <clears throat> that first seventy five percent, and the price for that will just come down and come down and come down because there'll be more companies that enter that space, and that will create price pressure. And so that five grand that you paid to do the seventy five percent will eventually become five hundred, yeah. and then fifty, and then. And then it'll yeah. be an open source project. And then right. it'll be an open source project and it'll be zero. And right. I think the and so then what you start to pay for is the people who can solve the really hard problems. Yeah. Which which require a human to do that. So That's I right. think that, that instinct is correct. I think two things. One is you're gonna have it's this is gonna have an affinity for a certain type of a job. And two, it's gonna be, you know, a, a, a rough cut. Like you're saying, that's exactly that's right. going to take some I can, time. I to can claim. build a prototype. Yeah. I can, and yeah. I can demonstrate if I'm trying to raise. Let's say I'm trying to raise investor money, right? Yeah. I can demonstrate the concept working in almost no time at all, and I can put users on it, even though it's rough. I can yeah. put you know my my early adopter users on it, and I can get really good feedback early. And so all of that is extremely valuable. It doesn't matter. I don't have to build something perfect for this model to have value. Sure. What I have to do is be able to have something that I can, uh, in the case of an iOS app, I can do something that's close to my idea that I can put through the app store that I can then put in users' hands and start getting feedback. Right. You can work it from the place where it is to to uh, to the the minimum viable product essentially. Yep. So yeah, I'm going to say right. something. So yeah. So here's the deal. I think uh, you know the very cursory beginnings of this is in pretty much every IDE out there, 
right? I so, agree with that. So like, uh, so uh, Java, for example, is just a language that I, I, I was t- oh, totally steeped in Java. It was my language in the late 90s, early 2000s. And then I kind of dropped it on the floor and I, I went to other areas. And then very recently, I've come back to it, surprisingly, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Some of that had to do with with uh, Android, but but uh, you know uh, for for other like server side kind of stuff too, I got back into it. And then looking at what has happened, a in the language is, is interesting. The language has not just stopped; it has been continuing to evolve and has gotten quite interesting uh, in some areas. Um, but also the tools, so IntelliJ that you use to to write apps, write Java apps have uh, i mean you know there there are generators there's like uh you know code refactoring oh, is really yeah. oh it's amazing yeah. uh, if if especially if you you know roll up and sit next to somebody who is very familiar with the tool and can use it you know who has all the keyboard shortcuts down and can yep. really pound out code with the thing and it's incredible like i think that's right I, I like I, I used to type every character, you know what I mean? And, yeah. And then after a while, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? It would be really much better for me to write. Back in the day, I would write a Perl script that would write Java code because I didn't want to write all the getters and setters. It took forever. And and Java is very verbose. So I wrote these little programs that you just say, here's an object. Let me define all the different things. Say, go make a get and set for everyone. Here are the types. Go. So now all of that, of course, is in IDEs and probably was back in the day, but I was too stupid to use an IDE. Um, yeah, let the record show that I was using IntelliJ with you in like 2003, and yeah. you, you insisted on using Emacs. Yeah, well, Let hey. the record show. Okay, fair enough. But I <laughs> still use Emacs, actually, for Node.js. I'm sure you do. Yeah, every day. It's good times. <laughs> but I think that your point is a great one, and that's like – the tooling that has made developers more and more efficient, and the same would be true if you are working in .NET or some other yeah. language I, like, oh, yeah. like sure. Visual Studio is yeah. fantastic. ID. Xcode is, is yep. Xcode's awesome. great IDE. Yeah. And so you've got all the tooling that makes developers more efficient is has been there for a long time. And I think what we're seeing is like the next turn of that dial yeah. is that you make that That's, tooling right. available to someone else. And it's really this it's you start to see this really cool um, combination of not only the tooling, but also the ability to use open source projects easily um, with things like in Node, you've got things like NPM and yeah. in Java, you've got Maven and you've got all of these great technologies that make the building of software so much easier now than it was, you know, even five years ago. Ruby was really the first one with yeah, with, um, with package manager and gems and all that stuff, they were really the first ones to say, "Yeah, let's let's have a let's have a really clear way of getting software you want into your application, where you're not having to download it, you know, include it, you know, include this jar or include this thing. Yeah, you know, it does all that stuff for you. Yeah, and and it's really so. I think what we're about to go through is the next turn of that dial, which is extending all of that stuff that used to be. You know, you had to be a developer to understand. Yeah. And I think we're going to see all of that pushed just a step further in the near term, which is we're going to put those tools in front of users. And then out of that, out of that comes, it's almost like the next turn of the IDE. So if I, as a developer, can go in, configure a bunch of stuff in a user interface, and it spits out a bunch of code for me that I didn't have to write. Yeah. 
That's a huge savings for me. Right. So, so look at Xcode and the interface builder. If you have a designer that can drive Xcode and create an interface, not that they can, you know, they, they're very concentrated on, on naming everything properly or, or doing all the hookups, as if, if they can at least create a responsive UI, something that works on the iPad, the, all the different versions of the iPhone, yep. uh, all of that in, in Xcode, that's huge. Because you you waste a developer's time who's who's concentrating on object oriented languages, etc. Uh, you you waste time trying to force him to bridge the chasm. Now you can make the same argument of a developer of a designer. You waste a designer's time teaching him a technical tool. Sure. Uh, so, but if if one or the other kind of crosses the chasm, they become you know really very valuable. Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think this is. Uh, we'll uh, we'll follow up with some uh, some links to uh, companies that have started down this path in the show notes and uh, and things like that. And I think this is a topic that we need to pay attention to going forward. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> yeah, it feels like the just the speed that this is all going to start to happen. I think the the realization for me this week was that having computers right software is where we're going. And it, this is, it's, like you said, this has not been new. Like an IDE writing code for you is a computer writing code for you. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so it's, it's really just, it's just an extension level. of that. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And making it a bit more user-friendly and things like that. But I think the the realization for me was if you can take the inefficiency that currently exists and start driving that out of the application process, Yeah. <clears throat> I think that's a really valuable thing for the economy generally. And for comp- you know people who are trying to start businesses and things like that, if you can take the cost of starting a business from a hundred grand down to thirty or forty, that's a big difference when you're yeah. trying to get something going. <laughs> and yeah, so anyway, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting next year or two. And I think if if I were a software developer, you know, and starting and starting now, what I would be focused on is how do I write code that writes code. Yeah, love it. So. Big anyway, time. that's uh, that's the show for this week. We'll include some uh, links to companies in the show notes. And thanks, as always, for listening.